at last, the First Impressions podcast. We talk about our love for Jane Austen, give a big middle finger to all those haters. I am Kristen, and I am joined by Margaret. Hello. Good to talk to you, Maggie. You too. This is the big <laughs> kahuna, Kristen. Everybody can't, the whole internet cannot wait to hear your thoughts on the hear new Emma movie. Hear my take? Yeah, our mutual friend posted on my Facebook page last night and was like, where's your review? I was like... Emma has been out in Boise for a total of three days. So back, no, I am so excited to talk about it. Came out on Thursday, um, much later than I was expecting. I have seen it three times. So I (laughs) saw it out three days. I've only seen it three times. (laughs) I know. That's why I responded to him. I said, Chris, I've only seen it three times. I was able to see it Thursday night. Kevin was very sweet. He got the tickets and he took me out to dinner and it was this whole big thing. And then my plan was to see it once on Thursday night and, and then again Saturday afternoon and now it's Sunday so we could podcast about it. It was so wild. 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 That after I saw it Thursday night, I was like, I can't just see this twice before I talk about it. So I went Friday night, and I had to go to a late show because it was after work and then after my exercise class. So I walked out of the theater. It was 10 p.m. I turned around and looked at the Showtime's board to see if they were playing it again that night. Oh, my God. Because I was going to go a second time. Wow. That's how much this movie is like. A drug to me. I am obsessed with it. I cannot wait to see it again. I'm hoping that it's playing down in Pocatello, Idaho, because I got to go down there for work. So I hope they have an art house theater because I'm going to be there every (laughs) second I'm not at work. Well, I've only had time to see it one sad time. No, I really enjoyed it, but I've only seen it once. I am moving in a week and that has totally taken over my entire life. And I'm very much hoping that I will get a chance to see it again this week. It will be much needed therapy. But your your recollection, I'm sure, per huge, <laughs> will be much better than mine. <laughs> because yes. don't hate me, Kristen, but I did get to see it a week earlier. You know, and don't I, be mad. I, I not, no, I'm, of course I'm not mad. I actually need to simmer down because... I, I truly was very, very upset that I couldn't see it at the same time that everybody else. The reviews were coming out. People were talking about it. I couldn't participate in the conversation. And I know the world has a lot of problems. I know climate change and, you know. Coronavirus. You know, I understand the world has a lot of problems. But Jane Austen shows us time and time again that what's important in our lives is the tiny microcosm of what's happening day to day. And... Frankly, it wasn't great for me. I was so upset every day that I couldn't see it. I was chomping at the bit. I, I, you know, anyway. And so I'm so happy that it was worth it. The wait was so worth it. And, and it's just, what? tell me what the, the one word, when you walked out of that theater and you had to describe your experience in one word with that movie, what would it be? I think probably the first thing I said to Bay when we walked out was, that was really fun, or something like that. Because I just had a really good time watching it. I turned to, I was so, I turned to Kevin and I was like, that was wild. And he was like, it was wild. And I I had to write to my brother-in-law who is is a movie buff and we've been talking about it. I was, was, you know, and to talk about a Jane Austen adaptation this way, I, I don't know that it made any sense or it would make any sense when he sees it, but I, I wrote him and I was like, it was fucking bonkers. 
And parts of it here's why it's good. Here's why it's a good adaptation. Because I was complaining to him, right? The reviews were coming out and people were calling it unambitious. I, I don't understand that word in this context because this is the most ambitious Austin adaptation I've ever seen. As yeah. I was telling him, people are calling it unambitious because they these, these people, these writers, directors, whatever, expect to approach Austin with a new spin, right? Like when Davies writes in Austin, it's everybody's horny. When, when Patricia Rosma wrote her Mansfield Park, everybody's a racist. That's the vision, right? Yeah. I, 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 I sat to him, I was like, Jane Austen doesn't need your vision, right? But when you go to adapt her, you need to look, go back to the text, the holy writ, right? And ask it, what, what, was, what could this book not show us? Right. What is there under the layers? What might have this book been too starched up by necessity, right, to talk about? And those questions were asked very, very well of Emma. A lot of interesting ideas were in there that I had never thought about before. A lot of things were pulled out that just really excited me. Plus, the score. Holy crap. Yeah, that was really interesting. There was a, a, a strong use of folk music in this and what to me almost sounded like Appalachian folk music. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was not your typical kind of English folk music, but it really does a good job of getting your audience in the headspace. Yes. And they are contrast between the sort of more operatic choral or whatever, like a, 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 a fancy upper class music versus like sea shanties or what, you know, whatever, some right. kind of, you know, like very folky folk music. And it was loud and they didn't shy away from using singing. You know, it wasn't the typical movie soundtrack where it was only orchestral and every scene change. It just, so, you know, Autumn DeWild obviously works with a lot of musicians, understands how to use music very effectively. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a sensory experience of awesomeness so not only did they do a lot of interesting things with the story it was a visual feast um i know that i, I read one interview with her interview with, with i think it was autumn Duwald, where she was she mentioned um angley's sense and sensibility and mm -hmm. honestly every frame of that movie is like a vermeer painting and they went very much the same way with this where it was a it was a visual feast it was stunning right it was all the the bright Georgian colors that we don't necessarily think of. Right, very um, pastels. Yeah, they 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 knew their stuff. They did all this historical research. Apparently, she's just like a research machine. And it really shows in some of the details. And the costumes, I I only know fantastic. because I've read, but they, but they were historically accurate and fantastic. I would say that you would not have this, Emma, if you had not had the favorite a couple years ago, um, which was a big Oscar winner contender. Um, and it's not so, it is, they're both period movies. That one had a lot of use of fisheye lens, which you don't get here, but just something about the tone of approaching um, a period drama slash comedy. I felt like it, this movie was a natural relative of that film. Did you see the favorite, Kristen? I did. Yeah. Okay. Did you get that sense as well? It was kind when of like the, a loosening up of what we imagine a historical drama has to be. When the preview, the first teaser trailer came out, that's immediately the impression that I had. Right. And honestly, I don't know. This movie may have been in produ like production before the favorite came out, so I don't know that if I would say like draw. I don't know if a straight I think line. It's been a couple of years, so I would imagine that the favorite 
came out before this, but who knows? I mean, movies sometimes take years to oh, develop. Sure. So. And at least because everybody liked, saw and liked and had that in their mind, they're more interesting to buy into this aesthetic. Oh, it's another cool period piece that I'll yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. This has been updated and, and chopped and screwed and it, like twisted in, in into something that's a con, you know a confection that I will enjoy. It's not that's, some stiff. That's the, that's the best word I think to do. Just it's there. Everyone is just like a in a candy shop, and there's butts, 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 butts. butts, 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 butts. <laughs> In one of the first, obviously there are spoilers in this discussion for everyone out there. One of the first things we see in the entire movie is Knightley's butt. He's butt. And Bay and I went to a Friday night showing the opening weekend here in D.C. And the entire theater, including me, gasped. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was so, it's unexpected because yeah. the butt, but I mean, but, but. Uh, it was because they were showing him getting dressed and you would be have your butt if your servant is getting you dressed, like your butt would be out we because that's part of the getting yes. dressed pro- process. But this is something that you do not see in Austin films, right? So in the first two minutes, there's Knightley's butt and everyone's just, <gasps> but then you know, oh, okay, we're going to be seeing real life here. This is butts with a purpose. This yes. is not gratuitous butts. And that, I mean, it was a little gratuitous, scene, but yes. Well, uh, well, <laughs> yes, yes, maybe yes. I That scene is so important. It was one of the most important scenes for Knightley. I, this whole movie made Knightley so vulnerable, which we have not seen before with this character, which we can't see in the novel, right? With Emma's perspective. He is getting dressed like a doll. I mean, he has to go through this, and it's not dignified. You know, he's like got guys rolling up his like stockings. He's sitting yeah. there with like a, a frilly white shirt and like, and then, you know, and he's like struggling to get in these buckskin trousers or whatever. It's not dignified at all. And he's he's almost choked. Knightley's almost choked by these collars in a lot of the scenes. Yeah, the so much so that I wanted to reach into the movie and just push them out of the way. All and of that's the purpose. Were insane. The, all of the collars were insane. But and, and, and some some scenes, Knightley did not have the big collar, and then other scenes he did. So I think it was a conscious choice. He's so closed off with these collars, you know. His and and after after the big ball scene, right? Not to get ahead of ourselves, but what does he do? He's ripping off his clothes. He's so he's he's in a straitjacket of of societal expectations, and he's just touched, had this physical touch during the dance with Emma and it's been so intense and he's like ripping off his clothes. It's, it's, it's like a metaphor <laughs> and flopping down on the floor. We have that everything they did with nightly something we haven't seen before. And let me say right off the top, I always thought that no one would supplant Paltrow Northam as my idea of Emma and nightly. I never what? thought that, that anyone would supplant. I can't go back. <laughs> I cannot go back. It was incredible. Like, okay, everyone was great. The acting chops, the comedy acting chops, but also um, him and his vulnerability. Just it, it just changed my take on the entire character. I have to say, Kristen sent me her notes before. Uh, she sends me her notes a couple days before so I can review them and kind of have a roadmap. And her effusiveness for Nightly 
Kristen, I love you. It kind of made me roll my eyes and be like a girl with a boy band. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, she's so in love with this guy. <laughs> well, actually, no, I don't find him that attractive. And everybody was, I mean, I mean, he's an attractive guy, but I was not like slavering over him, right? Like, and everybody was saying that um, before this movie came out, they were like, Emma's supposed to be a detective story where she discovers that she's in love with this guy but they always ruin it by casting a very handsome man as Knightley. So you foresee that Emma's going to get together with this hottie, right? And I thought that was actually really unfair because when they cast Johnny Flynn, they gave him these huge, scruffy, side mutton chop thingies. Oh, yeah, his hair was out of control. He, but he's a bachelor, right? He's a... Right, right. I don't care about his hair. It's perfect for the character, but I didn't see this movie star hotness that everybody was coming down so I hard on this. I do not see him as being... No, he was just very real. He was you just very awful. character, though, right? Knightley is great. Of course you... I mean, when I say, like, you are, like, so in love with... I don't mean because he's so hot, but I mean you clearly really like this character. Well, this version of the character. Well, everybody does. We, so do I. He, they break through a little bit of the traditional masculinity you expect you expect to see, like some of the choices he made, like in the end where he's about to confess his love and, and Emma says, do not speak it. What does he do? His hand goes to his throat. Yeah. It's the most dramatic gesture, right? Like it's, it's, it's almost Marianne sense and sensibility-ish, which we what just, do you, just haven't seen. What do you think about his age? I thought it was it was fine. Um, they never come out and say the age disparity between them, and uh, but he does look much older than her. Does and he? Yes, he okay. does. I mean, I thought I read that maybe you know, but I, maybe you're right that I knew because I knew he was supposed to be older. Maybe I just read him that way. Everything that they did with his character, I really, really liked, and I thought was great. And I'm not gonna say it was bad or bad choices or anything. I do think that the way he acted and the actor they cast made him closer in age to Emma. Really and that's fine. Let, let's put it this way. The current culture is not super welcoming of a guy <laughs> who's 20 years older than the ingenue in the fair. film, right? It's a fair, little fair. creepy in our current Me Too circumstance. Fair, so. fair, fair. They are a lot more like, they do interact a lot more like friends and equals. I, I will yeah. definitely give you that. But she also negs him, kind of, to the point where, you know, there's this one line where Frank Churchill is coming and he's putting Frank Churchill down. And she said, well, we do not often look upon fine young men in Highbury. And when she asks him, and you kind of felt that, right? Yeah. When she asks him to dance at the end of the ball, he looks at her with these big, wide eyes right really? like like he's surprised like he did not expect it he has closed what one fascinating thing they did with his character too is that donwell is shut up right like the furnitures yeah. in these drapes the the, the 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 sculptures are covered it's almost like he's thrown a sheet over that part of his life and he's closed he's never, off his heart to the possibility yes like i'm like i'm not desirable and i he, we never learn about nightly young nightly did he go to london did he have seasons with the tawn you know like why isn't he married you know like mm -hmm. because we, you know even though the, the thing about him being in love with emma since she was 13 he would have already been 29 years old yeah i mean john knightley took the plunge why why what what is up with this character and you have to address that and so something is going on with him emotionally 
where he's right. closed himself off to this and he's got these big collars and his 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 house is closed and I also loved that the, you see the servants. Yes, 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 how yes. Much the servants and how much that the the scene right with Knightley where he's gonna be mad at Emma for um for ruining Harriet's marriage to like Robert Martin right. He starts to lay into her. There are three women servants like polishing the silver. They immediately drop what they're doing and file out of the room. They're like, <laughs> or, or like when Knightley comes home and throws himself on the yeah. floor because he's so dejected that it seems like Emma and Frank Churchill are a thing. And that his servant who comes in and undresses him and dresses him. And, you know, he sees and he's like, nope. And he just like, turns right around and like, he's like, nope. <laughs> And you have to wonder what these people are thinking. What are they I saying know. when they're not around? These, I these... want the sequel where it's the same movie, but it's only from the servant's perspective. I thought that was amazing. because and, and even when Knightley lays into her at the picnic at the end, she's crying. And what does she do? She says, go. And you realize there's been a servant yeah. and the, like ready to drive the carriage the entire time listening to all of this. My God. And I have to tell you if I can share um, a story from my own life quickly that is relevant to this. I had a complete flash to this movie and the servants in it on Thursday. I went to a yearly event in D.C., which is a women's tea for uh, women attorneys that a friend of mine's private firm puts on. And I was sitting there chatting with two of my friends. And as girls do, we started talking about our vaginas. <laughs> And our, like, our periods and very <laughs> And I even said to them before, I said, oh, well, it's all women here, so it's okay. And we were talking about, like, what happens to your body. They have, they have children, so they were graphically talking about what happens to your body after pregnancy and all this stuff. Halfway through the actual, like, speaker, because there's a speaker who would, I realized the sound guy was sitting behind us the entire <laughs> time. Not just in the, like literally sitting right behind us. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, I completely forgot he was there. That's amazing. We had these incredibly personal discussions and I had completely forgotten. Not only was there a man, but you know, he was working the event. Oh, yeah. And I was just thinking this must be, but they never have the, you know, the, the characters in that movie never have this revelatory moment. I can't believe I was talking about such private things in front of people yeah, yeah. who are working. I and just, I, wonder, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I know, but I, I wonder if that's, that part was actually probably not because you would think they would be very discreet around their servants. And there's, there's, there's instances in Austin where she likes Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bennett sends the servant away. So he doesn't hear the gossip that Lydia is about to drop on her. And I loved it. And I I would like to structure this podcast, right, where we talk about the casting and the performances. And Anna Joy was fantastic to me. I was in her corner ever since I've read that interview. She's like, I read the book at 11, and she's quoting it off the cuff. You know, the hair was curled and the maid, maid sent away, and Emma sat down to think and be miserable or whatever. So in her corner, and she was excellent. Well, I had seen her a couple years ago in The Witch, and I thought she was really great in that. So I was not surprised that she was very good in this. In the trailer, my concern was that she would be very cold, mm -hmm. and there was some of that, but only with certain people. Like, mm -hmm. Emma turns that on as a conscious choice when dealing with certain people, and that was great. 
Yes, she turns it on, and then and then you see the little moments like her butt, right? She's like yeah. roasting it up by the her fire. It's cold. And I need to warm my butt. The little moments were were great, and they they warm her up, and and she can be very artificial. And also, she's artificial, right, with Jane Fairfax and Miss Bates because she's just yeah. has to be polite, and she, you know. Three months of doing doing more than I want and less than I ought. You know, she hates the fact that she's in this social these these social obligations. They suck, and her eyes and her eyebrows were so expressive. She has the best what the fuck face. She does have extremely wide placed eyes, and so looking at her is just she's so interesting to look at. She has a very and she could do face. so much with her face, and she's especially so when she shuts it down, like I was saying, when she becomes mm-hmm. motionless. I thought that her. Her character growth and change through the film was fantastic. And even though it kind of happens late, like yeah. Emma is kind of one note for a while. Not one note. You know what I mean? Like yes, she yes. is she is the Emma at the beginning through a lot of the movie. And then like we pointed in the book, from the dance onward, there I, is great change and great growth that happens and a lot of self-examination. And I just thought that she did a fantastic job. You know, one tool, one instrument that I feel was used to great effect to show her growth was actually her relationship and even her physical relationship with Harriet. Yes. We see her with Harriet first. Harriet is the doll that she's dressing up or whatever. It's she's she's very subservient and stiff with Emma and Emma, you know, sort of worshipful of Emma. By the end, right, they they've danced together. They've had this really cute scene where they're just being young girls together. In that last scene, you know, with 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 the Harriet, you know, the the big reveal that Harriet loves Knightley, they're sit. What are they doing? They're sitting in a window seat together, and Harriet actually brushes something out, you know, away from Emma's eyes. And the the huge thing that struck me with this movie to sort of segue is that it was a love story, a hidden love story between. Emma and Harriet and the value yes. that Austin placed on female friendship. And that's not supported by the text, but also it couldn't be because this is a story about how Emma's being punished for lifting this girl up below, you know, above her station. But of course it would have been because she's so starved for female companionship and she's lost Miss Taylor. Well, something they do, which is supported by the text, but I don't know if we see it in other adaptations is showing how socially isolated Emma actually is. Yes, they did that to great effect. And one I of thought the, that was fantastic. With when she goes to Mrs. Goddard's, right, to see Harriet, which happens several times, that place is crawling with young girls and they're all having a great time with one another. Right. And it really serves to isolate, you know, like visually isolate Emma. There's even one scene where the, the ducklings, as you could call them, right, in the red capes, right. are walking on one path and Emma's walking alone on the other. And she comes in with this regal stance and everybody hushes. You know, she's just not one of them. And she's missing that in her life. Well, even from the very beginning after the wedding, and this is, again, like explicitly in the book, when she and her father are having dinner, they've just left the wedding where everyone's celebrating and having a great time. And then they're just sitting there at this huge table, just the two of them alone. And it's sad. It is sad. And and when at the end, when she's thinking she's going to lose Knightley because he's going to get married, she she remembers that night and she remembers how sad and melancholy she was. And then Knightley came in and everything was brightened. That scene, I want to, can I skip to the end? Yes. Talk about the end. The scene 
everyone thinks that the proposal scene is going to be the big romantic scene, right? Yes. And the director interrupts it by having Emma get a nosebleed and in her words to show that she's really a hot mess and in Bay's words to show that she's, quote, blown a gasket in her brain. <laughs> The romantic, that's not the romantic scene. The romantic scene is in the very end where he tells her he'll move to Hartfield. Yes. And they are literally isolated because <laughs> Bill Nye, as her father, <laughs> has placed so many screens <laughs> for drafts. But they're isolated together. The two of them, like, it's first of all, like, the only way to have privacy and they don't even have privacy from the servants. But it's the only way time that they have actual privacy. And she is completely closed off from everything, but Knightley's with her now. They're isolated, too, by their by their money, by their social status. Yeah. I thought that, that was so beautiful. And it's just like, no, this beautiful. is the big romantic scene because they now always have each other. And that should be what getting married is, right? Yeah. You now have a partner. You now have someone who will be with you. I'm going to cry. I thought it was so beautiful. That scene, I loved that scene. It was funny. It was romantic. It was so sweet. This movie's so beautifully melded. Comedy chops, slapstick comedy, and romance that you almost don't even notice when you shift between them. Is It's all just this beautiful tapestry, right? Yeah, it was really, really great. <laughs> there, Emma's like, my life is ridiculous, and I'm in love. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I think I just... They're not separate. I think I described it as like the first half, but really the first two thirds. It's like if the favorite took place in a candy shop mm -hmm. and then the last third is just a big blanket that you wrap around yourself and just feel so good and warm and secure and happy. We, we need to talk about some changes that were made. Do you want to talk about this that now or do you want to talk about it later? I, I was just thinking we could talk about the casting and the performances and then we could move into like major changes from the novel. Okay, cool. W uh, would you like to talk about Bill Nye? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> A chill and sickly draft. It's so funny because I remember in the trailer, they showed the scene where he jumps down yes. the last two and I was like, wait a minute. He's supposed to be a hypochondriac. He's yes. supposed to be like, doesn't like to leave the house. He's very energetic. And I was not sure if I would like it, but it's Bill Nye and he's brilliant because he combines an energetic older man who is also a hypochondriac and it totally works. <laughs> it totally works. And his fear and his anxiety, which is the same thing they did with Michael Gambon in the, in the Romola Garaya adaptation. You have to understand what's going on with that character. He's doctoring himself because of his hypochondria, but he doesn't necessarily need that. He He's withdrawn because, you know, he gets this line, it was snowing when your mother died. They want to probe the fact that this guy just has a ton of anxiety. And everybody leaves him, right? Everyone he loves Everyone leaves, leaves him. him. The other casting that I loved was Mr. Weston, who oh was Captain Rupert yes. Graves, I've who has to live with the burden of every day of his life being cute as a fucking button. He is adorable, and he's the perfect Mr. Weston. I loved that casting. I was so excited to see him. I love that casting, and he did a, a great job. Uh, Mr. Weston has never made an impression on me before yeah, right. any other version I've seen, but I thought he was great. And I was trying to remember where I've seen him, and it's he's detected, he's Lestrade yes, in he's Lestrade. the Sherlock adaptation. And I know that Autumn DeWilde, she said that A Room with a View was oh, very, um, made a huge impression on her growing up. And he was in that as well. 
Oh, that's so, right. That's right. And I bet casting him for this was a very was big a delight. Deal for her. Yeah. And he was in. He's the reason we all got through the Forsyth saga. Let's not lie. Oh God, I did not make it through that. <laughs> he was also in the Tenant of Wildfell Hall, which is an adaptation of an Anne Bronte book that I happened to just turn on one day, and he is so hot in that movie. Okay, but you're right. He is freaking adorable. He's so. He yes. gives Mr. Weston such warmth. Yes, and, he does. And even his like the smiling, smiling yes. his eternal um, optimism that Frank will come is not seen at, it's not like, oh my God, this guy, like I can't even, he's just, it makes him even sweeter. I know. And then you really feel for him, you know, that there was a ton of discussion about Frank Churchill in this novel, more in this movie, more than they necessarily needed to do. And it was a conscious choice of setting the, up this, this mystery man who is going to come in and be in love with Emma or take Emma away from Knightley yeah. and, and the, 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 the digs, the subtle digs and how much they canvas it, how much they, they canvas. It. I mean, it was, it was done. It was used to good effect, but then, uh, Oh, Go sorry. Ahead. Before we get to Frank Churchill, while we're on the Westons, let me just quickly shout out Mrs. Weston slash Miss Taylor, who came on screen and Bay looked at me and went, that's fucking Yara Greyjoy. Yeah. <laughs> From playing that's a what Kevin said. Playing a completely different character and doing a fantastic job. And who else was... Oh, and I thought the Eltons were amazing, but we do need to talk about Frank Churchill, right? Yes, but let's talk about Harriet too. So the, oh, oh my God, there's so many people to talk there's about. There's so many people that the Eltons and their comedy chops were just top top tier, like just fantastic. I feel like I want to give them both Oscars. Like they I, were fantastic. I thought making everybody younger as compared to other versions yes. was great because everyone is kind of a peer now. Yeah. And we understand why they sometimes, like Mrs. Elton was young. She's like in her twenties, but it makes sense. Like she's just a snob too. You know what I mean? Like having everyone be kind of around the same age as Emma, I thought was actually a very smart choice. And then oh. Harriet is even younger who doesn't know anything. Right, right. She's a baby. What is she? She's, she reads as like 15 years old to me. And That's they I mean, right. also a conscious choice, but she's, you just want to pick her up and squeeze her and love her and give her a little kiss. I mean, she's just like a, a little puppy. Um, what I want to say about Mrs. Elton, God, everything, the, the hair, the costuming choices, that little shimmy that she does when she's dancing with her little, you know, yeah. she's got some shoulder motion going on. The actress, line I bet you was, a lot of that stuff was just the actress. Yeah, she was fantastic. Yeah. And I looked her up. I was like, well, she has a familiar face, but I had never seen her in anything. And I think she's really done herself proud in that role. I thought, she, yeah, I thought she and was And Mr. Fantastic. Elton was great, too, with his, when he's about to unveil the painting and his oh little Oh, my God, that, that picture frame was Oh, it? my God, that picture frame. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. It was so good. <laughs> it's just an example so of the ridiculous flourishes that he puts in the airs that he puts on, right? What did you think? about when he proposes to Emma in the carriage and they made him so drunk that he's honestly like a confused drunk. I loved it. I thought it was so okay. smart because first of all, it just adds the comedy, but yes. it also is him like his, he would, if, if not for being drunk, he probably wouldn't have done it. But mm. so it makes it more like icky, but funny and also her being shocked. I don't know. I thought it was great. So and many scenes were done big scenes from the book were done so well so well and then he shouts he's angry davis stop the carriage right yeah, he just gets out these guys are so privileged that 
you know, this rejection. He's infuriated and it's scary almost for a moment, yeah. and, and but so well done. Did you notice that when he does get out and the carriage drives away, there's a moment of like, oh shit. And he's not wearing great shoes. No. And I'm just like, sucks to be you, bud. <laughs> Talking about not wearing great shoes. Well, okay, but let's talk about, I, I won't segue yet. Let's talk about Frank Churchill I, and Jane Fairfax. Yes, okay. Um, let's talk about Frank Churchill first. Frank Churchill, just in terms of casting and acting, I thought was very good. I did not think that actor, to me, was not classically handsome, but what I pinged on the most was his physical size in comparison to everyone else in the frame with him. He literally dwarfs Knightley. The, yeah. the actor is huge. Like, he must have been a football player. Yeah, something. Something. Because he is a, not a fat, certainly not, but a large man. He, and and he strikes you as a jock, doesn't he? Sort of I like know, an yeah, arrogant. Like, okay, I got to go out now and, you know, toss the pigskin. I guess football in the UK would be a soccer player. Or right. he was like a rugby player. Right, He's right, just right. a large guy. And they, not the, not necessarily the kind of guy you would pair with Jane Fairfax either. He's not gentle like you and McGregor. You know, it, it, he, you know, you don't necessarily put them together. So that that was kind of good because people who didn't know what would happen would probably be surprised by that revelation. They, there are a couple of sly glances between them across rooms, but you'd have to be a nuanced viewer, I think, to pick that up. But they did drop that storyline almost entirely. And at that first, is probably I, my my big criticism, big, yeah, the biggest because it wouldn't have taken them long to no. put in a couple of lines teasing Jane Fairfax about Mr. Dixon, which is when Emma is at her most hateable. So perhaps yeah. that's part of the reason they had to leave it out. Like, how am I going to redeem this character in two hours? In my opinion, and I think that there might maybe there's stuff on the cutting room floor, maybe. but when Emma is summoned to the Westons and they're like we have to tell you some like grave news. Frank and Jane are engaged. We're so sorry. You must be so heartbroken. As an audience member, I, and if I didn't know the story, I'd have no idea what they're talking about. Because it seems to me that she and Frank, they just kind of like hung out they're a couple times. Yeah, they're just there's pals. never a time I where she like, thinks she might be in love with about? Like, there's yeah. no, there was no romance there. Yeah. I think that maybe one or two more scenes <laughs> would have helped out. Yeah, because in even Bay, who is not as familiar with it, he's like, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> he didn't, and he even knows. Yeah, we had this conversation afterwards where he's just like, it didn't make any sense for her to feel like she got misused or whatever because they yeah. never established any romance really. Right, and then, no then of course the ground. Then of course she has to be upset, and we're supposed to understand it's just for Harriet's sake. But you and, know, they're like, "I'm certain you knew it was our wish that that you would be attached," and they did not really develop that at all. There were a couple of moments where the, the Westons looked at each other, kind of excited, you know, when he asked her to dance. But they did, yeah. they did not. One of the um, the things I love, we have to talk about the ball. Are we oh, done talking so about? Good. Um, I just want to point, kind of caddy corner to that or whatever related. Um, Jane Fairfax also, sadly, most of her stuff was really cut. I don't, she exi her character existed to provide certain plot points, but also to show Emma's like worst aspects of her character with her jealousy and things like that. She really didn't exist as her own independent character, which fine, you know, they focused on other things. It's a nitpick criticism. I don't think that anyone, I'm sure some Jane Fairfax fans out there are like, oh my gosh, how could you do this? 
Um, and it gave they Knightley, really did cut back on her. They, they did. She did. She got short shrift. It, it it really like you were saying. It gave it just gave Knightley the opportunity to say that shitty thing to Emma, where it, he's like, "She's the accomplished one, young woman. You want to be thought yourself." Yeah. Which, yeah. which the expression on her, like, oh my god, it was so well done. Oh, and I loved though. What I loved is that again, reading between the lines of the book, this has to be there. They made them frenemies from the start. Yeah, just like, I don't know why everyone thinks we have to be friends just because we're know, the same age. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and how much did you root for Jane Fairfax when she's like, I think I can recollect the tune. She sits down and she just wails on the piano. Yeah, she, just she fucking totally, kills like, it. Like, she does that on purpose. I know, she's it's great. It's so great. Emma. <laughs> she's probably <laughs> also sick about hearing about Miss Woodhouse this and yeah. Miss Woodhouse that. You know what I mean? Sure, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm sure she's just as irritated, sick. And Emma was probably even more insufferable when she was younger, let's be real. So, like, they hate each other. And it's totally understandable as to why. Totally. They gave Knightley a musical side to increase his sort of vulnerability as well. What did he play? Did he play the violin? Yes. Yeah. that that was off the wall, but but this is one of the reasons that this adaptation is, is bonkers and amazing. And by the way, Johnny Flynn can sing really low. <laughs> it was so cool. Because I love and you know I'm all about that bass. About that I've bass. had that no, song no, in my no, head no. ever since I've seen that movie. So let's talk about Nightly some more. Nightly at the ball. Oh, the most <laughs> of, of the changes. Um, the I, I, I read we read the interview right about the idea behind this was that they never touch. There's rules about touching and. They, when when Knightley and Emma dance together for the first time, he's so overwhelmed by all over her. Just the the touching her was like a new experience, and it was it was shocking to him. It was clearly they 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 kind of show how he's totally just thrown for a loop by his the intensity of his feelings. But how nice to show the usually you would have focus on its effect on Emma, right? But this focused on the effect on Knightley, and I loved it. And he runs in his fancy dress shoes all the way to Hartfield. And and she sees him and runs out to him in the courtyard. And you're like, oh, my God. This is this moment is about to be a revelation. And then is this, comes, is this really happening? With, yes, and comes Frank Churchill with Harriet. And Harriet confesses that she's in love again. So Emma's trying to help her out. Be like, Frank Churchill, stay. Oh, my God. The expression on Knightley's face. And, and he, we'll both go. You know, like his voice is cracking. And that's when he goes home and he throws himself on the ground in an exhaustion of spirits, right? He's he's now been placed in a really difficult position where he really loves Emma and she really does not love him. But showing, I mean, we know, we can tell because they're both good actors during the ball. We know that Emma is also totally into it. And when she runs, sees him in the window and she runs out, we know that she's into him. But having a focus on him, it makes the stakes for the film higher because now it's not just Emma's uh, feelings that as an audience we know about. It's also nightly. So you really want them to figure it out because we've got two super likable characters that we want to have get together. So invested in him. You get, you really start rooting for him. You're and so invested. And his butt. And I, I saw yesterday, I saw the movie with a friend of mine and I, we walked out and I made a joke about like, why is it necessary to see all their butts? And she's like, I didn't mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not, we all gasped, but it was like, yes. <laughs> no one's complaining sure. about the butts. I mean, maybe somebody is, but. Yeah. 
and they need more buds in their life probably to be honest yes the oh, so okay. the ball i thought was fantastic just like i thought fox hill was fantastic i thought that the ball was so well done this author uh, this author sorry this director you can tell she just really gets it she gets what the big beats are and the screenwriter too, Eleanor yeah. Catton, I think we had, yeah, I, th it all just worked. Everyone was, as they say, firing on all cylinders. Everybody brought their A game and Box Hill, my God. I mean, it's been done well in other adaptations, but just to have something that you say go over with a thud. Yeah. They got the incredible painfulness and awkwardness of the moment. And they, what they left in, which I don't remember seeing in other adaptations, is they left in a West, Mr. Weston's joke about M and A. It's being perfection right after oh, that moment. Oh, like a lead balloon. And it's just painful. They and I had a whole conversation. Like, he, watching this, if you need, um, an example of how good this adaptation is. After watching it, Bay basically became obsessed with Emma and was reading everything he, except the actual book, reading everything he could find. <laughs> <laughs> article oh, after then... article about the film and about the adaptation, blah, blah, blah. And we had a whole conversation on the way to the grocery store, like three days after we'd seen it, about Miranda Hart as Miss Bates and specifically the Box Hill moment. And I, why that so affected me is certain actors and Miranda Hart is one of them. When they are upset on screen, you feel everything they feel. And when Emma says about the silly things, you just, it breaks your heart because she, when she's upset, you just feel it. That's how I felt about in Buffy with uh, Allison Hannigan as Willow. Yes, like when Willow yes. would cry, I would yes. automatically cry. It's Miranda Hart is the same way. You just love her so much. And when she is sad, you want to do everything you can to fix it. Protect and her. You just die. Like you really like Emma, but you're just like, oh girl, no. And then when Miss Bates is sad, you just want to just crawl under your seat. It's they so made, upsetting. They made the line even meaner than uh, you'll be limited to number. No, when have you ever stopped at three? It was even crueler. And in even even Mrs. Elton shoots Emma a look like you- Damn you, girl. Yeah, like you've yeah. really screwed up. And to be censured by someone as pert and, and upstart as Mrs. Elton, you're really like, oh shit. Um, oh God, oh God. But then she's on the stairs and the piano music and she has to go- up there the next day she's just yeah on those so narrow think, dark stairs. uh that was another really so uh before that though the the chastising scene from nightly i thought was perfect oh, because it wasn't him just like screaming in her face she you she's already upset and her defenses are basically just what she's trying to tell herself you know she knows and he knows she knows mm -hmm. but she has to hear it or she can just kind of try to convince herself it wasn't that bad but um a really smart choice was not having Emma, they did not show the Bates' apartment in its kind of full aspect until she goes to apologize. And you really, because Mr. Knightley has just talked about how poor they are and how lower their situation is. And when you see her, like it's a guest house or something, and she goes up these rickety old stairs and you kind of really see the contrast with their little apartment. Yes. You really feel like, oh my God, what did she do? You're like, oh, it really hits home the difference in their situations. 
Yes, and and then Miranda Hart says, "But you are always kind." I you know, know. it is. Oh, oh man, it's like a dagger in the heart when you know you've screwed up, and then people are nice to you about it. It's um, it's so effective. Yeah. And then you know, she goes home, and I interestingly in this adaptation, Mister Woodhouse knows what she has done. Like she's crying in the window seat, and he's there, and she's saying, "I've been arrogant, whatever." So when Knightley's there, he drops the line. He's like, you know, Emma's always so attentive to them. You know, like everyone's trying to lift her up again yeah. because I understand she's upset, even though she she really deserves to feel it. I mean, what let's be honest. What a beautiful moment between a father and a daughter. And I just wanted to be like, just put your arm around her. I know, like, I know. It was, I but know. It, was, it was really a beautiful moment. And he just wanted to make her, I mean, he's her father. When you yeah. see your child hurting, even if you know they're the ones who screwed up, you still <laughs> want to comfort them. And I just thought that little moment was so beautiful. I loved it. Let's see. I, I think are we into we're into change changes they made now. Having her go to the farm. Oh yeah. So, oh, so yeah. There's a whole there's a whole ten minute period of this movie which is like the Emma Woodhouse magical mystery tour where <laughs> she goes to basically apologize to all the people she's been a total jerk to. But it's so, it just shows, it's not a debasement. It shows how far her character has come. She had a whole scene where she talked about how she would never go talk to Robert Martin. To the Rob, yeah. Because why would she? They're farmers. And they're she shows farmers. up at their farm and brings them a goose. Yeah, I love the goose. And when you first meet Harriet, she's like, no, you're the Martins. She she sent Mrs. Goddard a beautiful goose. <laughs> she walked there, too. Did you notice that she yes, walked there? Yes, yes, she I did. She did not take the carriage. She walked yeah. her ass to that farm and yes, just shows up in the farmyard. And the uh, the Martins are like, what? With and, but it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. She makes amends. The other thing you notice is with this movie, being the love story between Emma and Harriet that's not shown in the book, in the book, when Harriet confesses she loves Knightley and then she leaves, Emma's like, oh, God, that I had never seen her, right? Emma's, Emma's mainly worried about her own inconvenience at that point. Yeah. Um, in this adaptation, when Knightley confesses his love for Emma, her first reaction is, Harriet's in love with you! <laughs> and like, every, yes, every yes, time yes. she's actually worried about losing Harriet. Yes, and she's like, how am I going to fix this? And they agree that she will go to Robert Martin, which is not in the, which is not in the, and you know, she's like, no, I'll do it. Right. I have to do it. I have to fix the wrongs, which is great. This it's brilliant. It's great. I loved it. I loved it so much. How you did you it? feel? And I loved it when Harriet shows up, my father has revealed himself. I know who he is. He's a tradesman, dot, dot, dot. And Emma's like, then your father must come to Hartfield. Oh, my God. She's a re she's so much more of a redeemed snob in this yes. movie than she is in the book. And it's cathartic. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I needed to see it. I feel like one of the reasons Emma is not my favorite or it's hard to relate to is that Austin seems like she's reinforcing the fact that there needs to be these social levels, right? Like, everybody has their level and Emma's punished for trying to raise somebody up. In this adaptation, she maintains that relationship. You know, she wants yeah. to validate that these people are her friends. And it's, it's it was cathartic for me, honestly. Well, you know me. I'm such a sucker for a found family. And that's yes. what we create through the movie. So it just, like, hits all my bones. Oh, her little, her, 
her little chin, she's holding her, her chin so high and, and just defiant. He, he makes galoshes, you yes. know? Like, so cute and funny, but at the same time, she's so vulnerable. Well, and she's also daring Emma to yeah, be I, like, I, I oh, well, you. that's good for you. What a, that's Throw a terrible me. profession, blah, blah, blah. Throw me out of your house. I am a lower social class than you, and you were trying to tell me otherwise, and so what are you going to do about it? And then, I don't know, I that's another scene that makes me want to cry. It was just as affecting as the love, the you know, the resolution love story between Knightley and Emma. So I know we kind of alluded to it several times, but that proposal scene and the nosebleed, the slapstick, I was totally into it. I I thought it was fantastic. I mean, it's real life, right? Like this, she's always building things that are perfect, her perfect life, her perfect house, you know, like yeah. all the candies and the cakes and, and she's in control of everything. And then this stupid, this stupid thing happens at this really important moment. And it's just, it was so good. I read some reviews that were not, did not like, almost every review I read of this movie was very positive, but a lot of people did not like that moment. But, and in the moment, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh my God. But it does show, she is a hot mess. She's got blood all over her face. Yeah. She's freaking out. It was like her brain couldn't, it was so cognitive dissonance from what she thought he was going to say. Like, she did blow a gasket. I love that way of describing it. And then at the end, I realized, oh, but it's because that's not the big romantic scene. This is the big romantic scene. And I was 100% okay with it because I still got that beautiful, so romantic moment. And that wasn't it. This was it. And it, this was way more powerful. So I was okay. I mean, it's so shocking. It's just like the butt. Everybody gasped. <laughs> it's just like this movie constantly swerves one way when you think it's going to go the other. And I, I really liked it. Everyone was just like, because <gasps> there's blood running down her face. And then it's all in her teeth. She and wipes just, it over her face. And then she hands the handkerchief back to him. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, my God. It's just, it's so <laughs> not what you expect from the big proposal scene, right? The Jane Austen movie. Yeah, they totally It was, it was a very head. risky choice. Because this is, when you usually watch a romantic comedy slash drama, this is the big parts. And to so defy audience expectations and do something gross, it's, uh, and I thought it was a really risky move, but I had no problem with it. Especially, I got my payoff later, so it was fine. And they, they did the comedy thing, too, with the baby spitting up and then... The oh, my God, the baby poops itself and everyone freaks out. It's hilarious. Oh, um, having Isabel... Isabel, Isabella, Isabella. Having Isabella and Knightley's brother show up was done so well. And actually, I think my favorite scene is when they're at dinner at the Westons and Frank Churchill, blah 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 blah. Oh, and they say it might snow later. <gasps> everyone's, everyone's head whips toward <laughs> Sister Woodhouse, <laughs> and they hustle out. I think. They changed John Knightley and Isabella to an unhappy marriage in a hellscape of children. And I support that change. But it's um, because of Isabella because she yes, has her father's yes. same issues. And I mean, that might also be part of why Knightley has chosen never to get married. Like he doesn't have a great example. It's a great impression of it. Yes. And, um, you know, John Knightley is so put upon and do not call for Perry. And what they did to end this movie on a high note is to make you beam and beam in the theater when you're leaving. 
is that there's this beautiful, this wedding, you're excited, you cut to John Knightley, the curmudgeon, and he's crying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just handkerchief because he's so overcome. Uh, it, I just, it's perfect. I, I loved that whole dinner scene because we, I've read many interviews with the, the director where she talks about how bringing up baby and screwball comedies very much inspired her. That whole scene, it's like 20 seconds after Frank, Churl, Frank Churchill utters the word snow, that dining room is completely empty and the Westons are just staring at each other. Like, what just happened? <laughs> the, the, the franticness of it and the pace of it, what it really reminds me of, this is crazy, is from the scene in Home Alone where they wake up and realize the power has gone off and everyone is running around the house and they're running through the airport. It's that level of frantic energy. You can have this hectic, heightened comedy in Austin. She would have totally supported this. When you look at her juvenilia, you know, run mad as often as you choose, but do not faint. You know, it's it's all heightened, heightened comedy. And she would have spent, I, Austin would have been so on board with these scenes. I think she would have really liked this. Well, first of all, a movie would have just completely blown her mind and probably given her a nosebleed. But I feel like she is a savvy enough artist. And this is something a lot of people just fundamentally do not grasp when we're talking about a page to screen adaptation. Novels and film are two completely different artistic mediums. And a slavish adaptation of a book would make for a horrible movie. And a lot of people don't realize that. And so any changes to them are an anathema because they see it as changing something they love so much. But you have to understand that film is completely different storytelling medium. So you have to make changes. And I think that she is certainly savvy enough to, to grasp that if she even I, knew what a movie was. And that she would be like, yes, this is true to what I wrote, even if I it's not it. exactly the same. I mean, Maggie, just tag me next time. When I go on my rant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> because I am, I am so guilty. But when it's done well, it can be a revelation. It doesn't yes, have to be yes, annoying. Yes, yes. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I, at the screenwriter, I was reading a, an interview with Eleanor Catton where she's like, some of these things did not translate. And you know, one thing I thought was fascinating is they put this picture of Enscombe, right? Frank Churchill's uh, seat, you know, his, his estate, the finest estate in Yorkshire or whatever. Um, they put a picture of it. So we have something to look at when we're talking about Frank Churchill. Is it, which character was it? That is it Knightley who's like, oh yeah, everything goes great for Frank Churchill. Yes. It's like his aunt's in his way, she dies. He inherits yeah. everything. Like everything works out great for Frank Churchill. I thought that was funny. It was. And that's in the book too. Yeah, yeah. I'm this glad they kept has, so much of the dialogue was right from the book. I this movie has to be commended for doing that, taking so much huge chunks of dialogue. And it can be it was faithful to the plot. It was faithful to the characters. It even had the original dialogue, yet it was something of its own. Yes, It, it transformed the material. And that's how you do an adaptation. Would you say a triumph? A triumph. Now, when you say that movie was wild. Wild. That, to me, doesn't necessarily have positive connotations. So I wasn't sure, just so Kristen posted a photo of herself after seeing it on our Facebook page where she called it wild. And I didn't know if that meant you liked it or not. It was wild in a good way. But yeah, no, I agree. That doesn't necessarily have positive connotations. But that was the, when I was being driven home by Kevin, you know, after seeing the movie, I was so mainly wholly occupied 
with just how much my expectations had been subverted, overturned. That's what I thought you meant. It was wild because you were on, you didn't know what was going to happen, even though you know that book, like you're back of your own hand. It was, Exactly. What were they going to throw at me next? What were they going to do next? Were they going to show me next? What, you know, uh, uh, what was their take on, on all this stuff? And, and I, I have to, you know, I was telling my brother-in-law, the movie buff, you know, I'm saying, I was saying, he, he sent me a list of Austin movies ranked and Mansfield Park was pretty high up there and he knows my feelings about it. I've ranted about it many <laughs> times. And I was reading some of the reviews of it and I was like, you know, Brian, look, you know, Chad from the, the Kansas Post-Gazette thinks there was bold directing. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I, I, like I was saying, don't, don't pose your, your vision on Austin. If you didn't adapt the source material in a way that's true to the source material, you failed. In my book, yeah. you've you felt, and yeah. this movie showed me that maybe directorial choices are important. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, as we as we all know, there's only one person's opinion that truly matters, and Fine. it's not me, and it's not some guy from the Houston Herald. Yeah, yeah, it's mine. It's Kristen. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> they showed me something so new, and I that that that. It changed me. <laughs> it changed oh, my God, this movie changed you. Much like Emma, you have gone on your own journey. Personal journey where maybe other people's artistic ideas about Austin are also worth admitting and considering. Okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. Today, you know, sometimes I come to these revelations. Like, I, I thought I, I was like, I really liked that Roma Lagerai Emma adaptation. And then the other day I was like, ugh, that one. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. My feelings changed. Yet they're still the same. <laughs> My feelings and wishes are unchanged. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me so at once, Kristen. No, I really, really like it. I'm actually quite upset that I did not get a chance to go see it again. And I definitely plan to. And it's funny because I, and just seeing your response that it was wild, I've been in such a state these past (laughs) couple of days wanting to talk to you about it. Because if you didn't like it, I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah, but how are you even going to talk to me? I mean, like, I would have, that would have just been, you know, one of our, our, our commenters, one of our, our Facebook, our fans, she's on our face, you know, comments on our Facebook page sometimes, Rose, uh, wrote on my pest that she, it's her new favorite Austin adaptation. And when I saw that, my first instinct was to be like, whoa, 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 let's cool our jets. <laughs> but you know what? Thinking it over, I can't think of an Austin adaptation other than 1995 P and Pride and Prejudice, yeah, that I would rather watch. Oh my gosh! Well, it also still is kind of new, and toy. It had, the shine yeah. is on it. I mean, I think that that sense and sensibility is pretty damn good. Um, I, I'm still, it's still too too new for me to speak as to where it falls in my. But I could definitely watch it multiple times, and there are not a lot. I mean. Like Northanger Abbey's up there for me, so I can't say whether it's my favorite yet. I've only seen it once. So. That's true. That's true. Well, and the other thing is, uh, as much as I care about uh, nuanced, good, you know, understandings of Austin's novels and and interesting things from the that are you know like good adaptations, as much as I care about being being consistent, whatever. What keeps me coming back to watch these movies is the chemistry between the main characters. Yes. And if you don't have that, you don't have the hook, right? You don't have the emotional investment and the payoff 
And because we're coming from Knightley's point of view and we just haven't done that before is like crack. I don't know. I don't know. I, so, I really liked this guy's interpretation of Knightley. Is it Johnny Flynn? Johnny. His name's Johnny. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, oh. I, I with you. Johnny's perfectly valid name. It sounds like he's in the 1950s. Oh, Johnny. Uh, can we talk about Frank Churchill's hair, by the way? Because I hate it when the men, hair was t- the men's hair was not good. I hate it when men roll into Austin adaptations looking like they just came out of 2008. But he, yeah, I. But in in the hair department's defense, the women all had center parts, so at least we had that, right? Yes, the women's hair that you know there was not a great hairpin shortage. Uh, the women's hair is fantastic. That but you know it's historically. It, I, I read somewhere that Mrs. Elton's hair was from a different, slightly different era. But that's fine. That's fine. It was a character appropriate. Yes. But I do hate it when like men come in with this super close cropped. Not because that's not historically accurate. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it just makes them look modern, and that takes me out of the movie. Yeah. No. I like Johnny Lee, grow some hair, put yeah. a wig on him. <laughs> I agree. I, yeah, I didn't think that the men's hair was very good. I don't, maybe that's part of the problem I had with Johnny Flynn too. I was just so upset about his hair. Oh, the, the, like the messy hair. Yeah. And I get it. A lot of this stuff, it's like, I get it. It's just for me, it wasn't a thing that worked. He was, he was very scruffy to the point where it was distracting. He was honestly like like I think Bay said this too. He was like Knightley and Churchill look like bros. Yeah. <laughs> they did a, a number of funny musical cues, like at a, at a certain point with the uh, Knightley and Churchill and they like look at each other and there's like a timpani roll. <laughs> <It's> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, they did a number of great, like uh, uh frenemy sort of, a, I mean, not, not even frenemy, it was just hostility. Yeah. Remember the scene when they're at the Coles and they, uh, Frank Churchill and Mr. Knightley and Emma all hit the door at the same time. So they both let her go ahead and she looks very self-satisfied and swans in. And then they have this parley of politeness where it's like, what, you know, you go, no, you go first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was really good. I can't wait to see it again. And I'm going to get that good popcorn too. Oh, yes. Do you know that I have gained 15 pounds since my wedding? But I'm like, I want that good popcorn. <laughs> Just have a good popcorn. Live your life. That's my thing now. It's like life. You know, my life. It's good advice. But yeah. the problem is my life could be cut short by my high blood pressure, <laughs> which is related to weight. So I really can't just like eat whatever I want, Kristen. <laughs> I'll live my life, but only until 50. When I have a heart attack. And okay. then on my deathbed, I'll be like, but Kristen said. <laughs> I could live my life. My life. <laughs> Maybe this, because this is Austin, maybe we can have a little Austin as a treat. Have a little Austin, have Austin popcorn. Austin as my treat. Like when you want to do self-care, don't do it with food. Do it with Austin. Yes. Oh my God. I like that. I applaud this. that. I applaud Love that. It. That's true in my life too. I, self-care. <laughs> At a certain election, which I won't be specific about, I just put Pride and Prejudice on after I understood what the outcome was going to be. I was like, I don't know what else to do. I have to be soothed by. That's a good idea. That's it's, it's good. If, it's, if it does soothe you and yeah. something's making you anxious, just pop in that, pop in that Colin Firth action. Yes. Do you know what I've actually been thinking about a lot, and I posted about this on our Facebook page, is Jennifer Ely in Contagion. 
because of course with the coronavirus contagion i thought was just even at the time i thought this movie is a very realistic portrayal of what could happen in a pandemic and jennifer ely is the one who comes up with the vaccine and i just i love that it's lizzie bennett who saves the world gwyneth paltrow destroys the world but Lizzie Bennett saves it. <laughs> Emma destroys the Emma world destroys and Lizzie it. saves it. Lizzie and I've just it. been thinking about how much I love her in things and how she is a comfort. Because of these like two performances, I'm very comforted by her. Yes. Um, now here's a question that kind of popped up for me while, while you're talking about Lizzie Bennett and her universal appeal. Uh, and Emma's non-universal appeal. Do you think that modern day viewers will understand this social hierarchy, this idea of everybody has their level? Because um, I, I think they'll do fine. I mean, I think that Austin stories stay relevant, not because of we're still moving in the same social structure, but because it's how do people react? How do people behave? Just like if you're watching fantasy, if you're watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yeah, it's cool to learn about vampires, whatever, that the the CGI or whatever. But you keep coming back because of the emotional impact it has on these people. How are they going to react to this world full of vampires on this hellmouth, right? And so I think that people will be fine. I don't think that modern viewers will have any problem. I think it's easier to get it on screen where you can see the size of people's houses yes, and, and how yes, they're dressed. Yes. There is, I have so many thoughts about this, so it's going to be a little stream of consciousness. Um, there's a reason why so many people consider Clueless one of the best Austin adaptations, and it is because where else are we so hierarchical, higher, oh. whatever. Where else do we have so many entrenched hierarchies <laughs> than in high school? Yes, yes. That yes. is something that every, at least every American teenager can <laughs> absolutely understand when you're talking about everyone having their level. Like that is, that's high school. And this adaptation does a great job of showing the differences and showing Emma's snobbery, but you still like her because the actress is very charismatic and likable. And the other thing I want to say is if there's anything that shows that Austin's discussion of societal hierarchy is still relevant. All you have to do is watch Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, yeah. And I talked about this a lot, but Kevin Kwan has come out and said that when he got the idea to write this book, he was reading and watching Austin. And he said, oh, that's Singapore. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he just said, oh, this is is Singapore. And so I read interviews with him, and they say, what inspired you? He's like, oh, Austin, because that was my life growing up. So I don't think that modern audiences have any trouble understanding these social levels. Thank you. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good TED Talk. I feel like I make that joke every podcast because I go off on (laughs) cues. Is there anything else we definitely have to cover? I loved the color palette. I loved the costumes were fantastic. This was not maybe one or two, but this was not a version of Emma where they recycled costumes from prior productions. This was something where you could tell everything was made for it. It was a triumph, really. It was, fully. it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. I think that we have given it a rave. I think absolute rave. Two thumbs up. Only fun. I'm trying to think of how I can. Everyone's going to like the Bay is, as we speak, at this movie for the second time. 
with his sister and his mom. Oh that my God, that's amazing. Oh, that's so great. Oh, I love how he gets into Austin. I love how he like loves sense and sensibility. He's open to it. A lot of men have been like really open to little women and really open to this. And it's just been, it's been a, a warm blanket around my heart that, 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 that they're finally willing to listen to our stories. You know, and I, I shouldn't think, say finally. I don't think I could have married a man who didn't appreciate good art, no matter who created either. it or who the audience is for. Yes, um, yeah, but he found out that his mom and his sister were going and he's like, I want to go again. Oh, that's so great. I know. Oh, Bayard. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was I going to say? <clears throat> oh, crap. Oh, now by the way. Got, now you've gotten virus all over your microphone. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it, I, from drinking coffee. Actually, I'm, I'm not well this morning, but it's definitely oh, no, not the flu. It's it's from drinking. I'm sorry. I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm hungover. <laughs> but I still had to podcast. I was like, I've been looking for this forward to this podcast for so long. I looked up that game that they were playing at Mrs. Goddard's with the, it looked like some kind of cake and they were cutting oh, it. And then whoever the- cuts the pe- the last, whoever gets where it like kind of falls over is getting married or something like that is what I gleaned from it. I looked it up and it wasn't, I didn't see anything about like it. It's like catching the bouquet. It means you're going to get married or something. It just means you're going to get really messy. Uh, Cause that it was flour. It's made out of flour. I was wondering, it's like, is that sand? But no, it's like, it's called bullet. bullet oh, it's pudding. Jenga. Yeah. It's like Jenga. Exactly. But the idea is if you make it fall, you have to put your face in the flour and get very messy. And, and so it's not a, a dignified game. And of course, Harry is kind of, horrified when Emma comes and she's sort of been caught uh, playing. Yeah, this. but you know what? They're all having a really great time. And yeah, like, and Emma's not. Emma Emma's not a part of that. Time. Yeah. 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 For Once sure. again, she's set apart from, from the fun. Yes. But I mean, I thought that that was, I had never seen that before, but as an audience member, I had no trouble figuring out what, what was, was going. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was just fun. It was just, it was just a warm, nice scene. They did a really nice job, including a lot of those little flourishes. Yeah, for sure. It was so good. I can't wait to see it again. I know. I, I can't wait to see it for a fourth and even fifth time. Oh, my God. It's happening. The Obsession. Yeah, The Obsession. Yes. Obsession by Calvin Klein. Have to. Have to see it. Have just, to. You know what? If it brings you joy, go for it. My mom saw The Phantom of the Opera with Gerard Butler in the theater ten times. So That is I'm not like, a good movie. Sorry, Kristen's mom. But that is not a good movie. When he sings the music of the night... To her, I, we were spellbound. We were like spellbound by it. We like had to go back and see it again and again. What are you talking about? It's not a good movie. What are you talking about? I tried. You told me about how you and your mom loved this movie several years ago, and I'd never seen it. And I watched it. And, and it's good. No. <laughs> I how dare you. you. I love you. I love your mom. You know what? Everybody has their thing. You know me. I don't shit on other people's fandoms, but I'm just saying from me, object like the way that movie was made. And I will also say that a lot of it is that I don't think they cast strong singers. Oh, that, but Emmy Rosam is like an operatic trained singer. She was good. I, and, but I also, I'm not a huge fan of the Phantom of the Opera anyway. Not. So I, you were a total theater kid. Every theater kid loves a lot of subjective bias. Okay, I fully admit I come to it with a lot of subjective bias. But are you? Do you really think like objectively that is a well-made movie? No, but it's good. It's just cheesy fun. Yeah, that's fine. That's fun. That's but fine. It's sexy. It's sexy. It's also sexy. It's cheesy fun and it's sexy. So I will not apologize. You, you know the other movie I saw 
was uh, the first Hunger Games. I saw it six times in the oh, theater. Oh, yeah, that, I really liked the Hunger Games. That movie was... Um, really good. It was a great adaptation, too. Like, yeah. that's a really good way to make an adaptation. Yes. Uh, I remember reading a review of Fan of the Opera where when he finally takes his mask off, the reviewer is like, they cast someone super handsome mm-hmm. at the Phantom. <laughs> and then they wussed out on actually making Maybe. him disfigured. I- and they're like, he's the slightly scarred, handsome surfer guy of the opera. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so any, let's wrap. I think time, probably time we to wrap it up. Do we need to go to the Wheat Chief or are we good? Oh, shit. We don't have to go there every time, you know. Well, sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's tired. Sometimes it's really hot. And you just don't feel like walking all the way down the lane to get your mail, even if it's the one time you get out of the house and the one thing you can do. And when Mrs. Elton tries to take it away from you, you will fight tooth and nail to get your own goddamn mail. We really didn't talk about that at all. don't want to go down there. They, they did not have Mrs. Elton trying to convince Jane to, you know, be a governess. The governess thing was never even mentioned. Yeah, they cut a lot. I bet you that's on a cutting room floor somewhere, though. Uh, yeah, probably. I bet you it is. Because Miss Bates... When Emma goes to her with the basket, she says, Jane's been writing all morning such long letters. My dear, you will blind yourself, I said. Yeah. It was in there, and then it was like, you know what? I, somebody was like, you know what? I think people will understand this movie without this subplot, and let's get it down to two hours. And so there you go. I mean, they, they, yeah. spent, they spent their time wisely. Yeah, they did. They really did. I, I don't, I'm not, I didn't want to, I don't want to sit through a three-hour movie to include ever again like that's not the way movies work you have to pick and choose and if you want to lose some jane fairfax stuff like i'm cool with it she's kind of a wet blanket anyway (laughs) no offense okay so if you wrote to us and i didn't remember i apologize we will definitely get to you next time we'll get to you next time this was about the movie you know we got it just about obsessive squeeing over the movie and i think we can say that have we? Have we delighted you long have enough? Have we? Have we? Have we? We have. <laughs> I wouldn't say we delighted you, but it's been long enough. I always but... have the confidence that we have delivered on entertainment. So on that, dear listeners, we have delighted <laughs> we... you long enough. We talked a hell of a lot. <laughs>